his children. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come into your house to sit under your teaching that you might speak to our hearts and give us knowledge that we might understand you and your ways and understand your world and understand our own lives. And so we pray that um, you would open our eyes to behold wonders in your word and that you would be our aid as we study the riddles that are in your word, that uh, they would lead us um, to treasures of hope and wisdom. So we ask for your spirit now to guide us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm very excited to be starting a series on Ecclesiastes. It's one of the books of the Bible that I actually read the most frequently. I, I read it probably at least a couple times a year. And, uh, and I'm excited to go through it because it's one of the books of the Bible that I think is, is troubling for many Christians. If you've read the book of Ecclesiastes, you may have been puzzled by it. And the reason for that is because Ecclesiastes is different than a lot of the other books of the Bible. So, for example, Ecclesiastes is one of the wisdom books in the Bible, along with Job and Psalms and uh, Song of Songs and Proverbs. And in a book like Proverbs, you will have sayings like this. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. So Proverbs says things like this, that if you live a sinful life, you're going to have all kinds of heartache and trouble in your life. And if you live a, a righteous life, then you're going to be blessed. And, you know, in some ways, that's true. You know, if you obey God's commands, you, God made this world. And if you kind of cooperate with his commands, then uh, you're going to be working with how his world works. But all of us know that disaster does not just come on sinners. Disaster comes on everybody. Everybody has disasters that come on them. And so Proverbs, by itself, is too simple. It's too simplistic. And so what God does is he gives us books like Proverbs, and right alongside it, he gives it books like Job and Ecclesiastes that give us a full understanding of a wise living in his world. And um, I think 
that most of us long for the Bible to say things like, if you work hard, you'll be successful. If you discipline your children, they will love you and obey God. And if you tithe, then you'll get wealthy. And we want little clean equations that are very clean cut. And because statements like that give us a sense of certainty and control about our lives and about the future. I know that if I do this, I put in the coin, I know what's going to come out. I know what the outcome is going to be. Ecclesiastes comes like a wrecking ball to that whole vision of life. And what Ecclesiastes says is that the wise person not only knows the maxims, knows some of the things that if you live a righteous life, you'll be rewarded for it, but the wise person also is deeply humbled and silenced by how mysterious the world is. That we don't understand the world. We don't understand God's ways or his purposes or why things happen the way they do. And yet, the wise person who knows that they can't control the world finds reasons to be joyful in it. Finds reasons to thank God. Finds reasons to obey him. And this is what Ecclesiastes is about. He's coming to terms with, I cannot control this world. And this passage I just read is actually an introduction to the main themes in Ecclesiastes. And, you know, if uh, some of you have read Ecclesiastes, you may have thought that Ecclesiastes is about that everything is meaningless. Maybe you've heard that before. Um, And this mainly comes because of verse 2, which says, Vanity of vanities says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now that word vanity, havel, uh, has uh, actually been translated in, in, if you have an NIV Bible, it's actually translated by the word meaningless. So verse 2 reads, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. But the word havel, it doesn't mean meaningless. And of course, we know that the world is not meaningless. God made the world. It's filled with his purpose. The Bible tells us that he made it good. What Havel literally is translated as is vapor. Everything is vapor. And the key to understanding God's world is understanding this concept of vapor. And so this morning, uh, as we do an introduction to this book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to talk about the topic of vapor and just answer really two simple questions. First, what is vapor? And second, what does God give us in the midst of the vapor? What is vapor and what does God give us in the midst of it? And so this is the first question, what is vapor? So literally, verse 2 reads, Vapor of vapor, says the preacher, vapor of vapor, all is vapor. Now, I mentioned that this has been translated as meaningless, which the word meaningless is kind of a philosophical word, right? Everything is, you know, thinking about the world in, in terms of philosophy. And the passage that we just read, if, if you have an ESV Bible, this, which we usually read out of, it says the word vanity. And vanity is kind of a moral word, right? We think of vanity, if someone's vain, then they're kind of egotistical and they're shallow. But the word uh, havel uses a, it's actually a concrete word, vapor, or mist, or a breath. And what um, the author of Ecclesiastes is trying to communicate is that everything is like a mist. We see things that we really long for and we want, 
and we reach out to grab them, and it's like a mist that just goes through our fingers. It just slips through our fingers. We can't grab onto them. They're good things, but we can't grasp them. There's no substance. They evade us. And so, for example, you know, there was a job that you really wanted, and you say, if I got that job, I, you know, I'd be, my needs would be taken care of, and I'd really be using my gifts. And so you go and you grab for the job, and either it, it eludes you, and you don't get the job, or you do get the job, and it turns out it didn't change your life like you thought it was. And it was just vapor, and you reach through it. And the wise person embraces that the world is vapor. The world is good, but it is vaporous. It's mysterious. It's unpredictable. And the sooner we come to terms with that, that everything that we're interacting with our life, all the people, all the jobs, all the possessions, all the activities, are vapor, the sooner we come to know what wisdom is. And um, Jeff Myers is a pastor in St. Louis. He's got a uh, really good book on Ecclesiastes. And he, he uses the illustration of, you know, you think of a family going to a beach and the dad is going to go build a sandcastle with, you know, the little five-year-old. And they build the sandcastle, and the five-year-old's like, I want a tower here, and I want a wall here, and we're going to keep the waves out. And you spend maybe a couple hours working on this sandcastle. And, of course, the dad knows what's going to happen. The waves are going to come in and destroy the sandcastle. It's, it's going to disappear. Now, building sandcastles is a good thing, but the dad knows that it's not going to stay as he enters into it. And the child may not know that. And so when the, what happens when the sandcastle gets destroyed by the waves? The child's in a fit, having a meltdown because I lost my sandcastle. And that's often how we are. Instead of being like the, bad, the dad anticipating what's going to happen, God's world that he made is vaporous. You look at, uh, you know, in the spring all these flowers come out. And you go and you look at a beautiful flower and you think of it, it's so intricate. And it's like, God put such care into this. And then he didn't only make this one flower, but there's just millions and millions of them, you know, in these trees or in this forest. And you think they're so special. And they, what does he do? You know, f- four months later, the fall comes and, you know, the, the chill comes and destroys all the flowers. And every year he destroys them. And then next year, what does he do? He does it again. And he makes all the flowers, and then he destroys them. They're beautiful, good things that are vaporous. And they they evade us, and they disappear. And it's not just God's creations like that, but actually the Bible says that because of sin in the world, that's kind of aggravated the vaporousness. So the Bible says that um, in all of our toil, when we're working, we experience thorns and thistles. So, So it's very hard for our work to be fruitful. So it becomes even more vaporous. And, you know, Romans says that sin has subjected the whole creation to futility. So there's this experience of futility. But the fact that the world is futile does not mean that it's meaningless. Because it's just like the dad building the sandcastles. So, you know, the waves are going to destroy the sandcastles. Does that mean you shouldn't build sandcastles? Does that mean that sandcastles are are worthless or meaningless or or pointless or you shouldn't do them? No, the dad knows we build sandcastles knowing that it's going to get crushed by the waves. And we enjoy it while we have it. And we thank God for it while we have it. This is what vapor is. The beautiful, mysterious, elusive, and often frustrating world of God that we can't quite get our hands on. That's what I want to do. I just want to highlight four ways that this passage... Uh, describes this vapor. 
The first thing that it says is that in vapor, there is no gain in life. Things that are vaporous give us no gain. And you see that there in verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Of course, what this passage is saying is that even if you're the most successful person that you know, the most wealthy person, you accomplish all the goals that you wanted to accomplish in your life, when you get to the end of it, all of those things will, will be like trash. They, 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 you'll try to grab onto them, and you, and you spend your whole life building them, and you spend decades of your life building on them, and you get to the end, and you thought, this was going to give substance, this was going to give meaning to my life, and you get there, and it didn't do it. And it was like this mist, you grabbed it, and it wasn't there. And which is a chilling thought, right? That we expect these things that are good to give us so much more than they can. They weren't intended to give us that. And it's chilling to think of getting to the end of our life anticipating that the world wasn't vapor. The world had substance. The world could give us meaning and security, and it couldn't give us those things. You know, I should say that, you know, that may be some of you. That your pursuits... If I, could get, um, if I could get that job, if I could get that pla- to that place in my career, if I could get that family, then I know that my life feels secure, it feels whole. And what Ecclesiastes says, the world is filled with good things. Don't expect them to give meaning to your life. They are vapor. They are good things, but they're vapor. But the second thing also is, you know, some of you might say, yeah, that's me. I really, I pursue gain. I, I, I pursue, you know, a career or, or things or experiences in my life. And, um, but for some of you, maybe the desire is more for control in the world. And the other thing about vapor is that the fact that the world is vaporous means that we can't control it. And this is verse 6. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits, the wind returns. Um, Now, the wind in uh, Scripture is something that's very mysterious. You know, we don't know where it's going to go, right? And it's very much that way. You know, you don't, how much do you trust the weatherman of how he knows which way the wind's going to blow over the next few days? Um, We can't determine it. We can't tell it where to go. And actually, Jesus has kind of a famous saying in John 3 where he says, the wind blows where it wishes and you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And what this is saying is that we want to have control and organize things so that things go according to our plans. And Ecclesiastes says the world doesn't work that way. You know, how many of us have said, I have have a plan, I have a pursuit of how things to go, and we look back and we find it didn't go that way. It hasn't gone according to our plans. It took turns that I never anticipated, never expected, never wanted because that's the part of the vapor of the world. The wind blows where it wants to and we can't control it. And you know, some of us will find little areas of our life where we can have control. You know, maybe you have a desk where everything is right in the right spot and you're like, at least my desk is the place where I have control. But look at how small it is. Look at how small that area is. When it comes to all the things that matter the most to us, Parenting, relationships, 
vocation or even our own health, we are just blown around like the wind. The unexpected is always coming. So there's no gain, there's no control in the vapor. The third thing is that there's also no satisfaction. Verse 8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Ecclesiastes says that no matter how much you see, how much you experience in life, some of you want to have great experiences. And you say, you know, if I could fill my life with great experiences, I, I could uh, I'd get away from the vapor. I could feel security. I could feel wholeness. And this says the eye is not satisfied with seeing. You know, I, I, I was just... This last weekend, I was up at uh, Yellow Aster Butte, if some of you know uh, where that is, up, up in the Mount Baker area, and it was a stunningly beautiful weekend. The mountains are out. It's gorgeous. This is the kinds of thing that we long for, is seeing things with our eyes, seeing, you know, amazing things and having amazing experiences. And, you know, C.S. Lewis uh, talked about something that he called an inconsolable longing that we all experience, that... Um, there is a deep ache within each of us that we are looking for something in the world to satisfy, a desire. And the interesting thing that C.S. Lewis pointed out is that the things that we think might satisfy the desire actually make the desire stronger. So he describes, you know, if you see a, uh, you know, a sunset and it's so beautiful, it's so breathtaking, he says, it doesn't satisfy the desire, it increases the ache within you. It makes you ache more and long more, because what, what's happening is the sunset is pointing to something beyond the sunset. There's something behind the sunset that we're actually really longing for. And in the vapor, you cannot have that satisfaction. And for many of us, the way that we try to find that satisfaction is we always have something new that we're looking for. You know, that's, that's what it talked about here, that there's nothing new that's under the sun. And, you know, I'm that way. Shannon always says, oh, you know, Nate's got some new thing he's into, some new hobby. And, you know, for some of that, that us, that might be that we're just interested in a lot of things. But it, it also could be that we're going from one thing to the next, thinking that this is the thing that will satisfy me. This is the thing that will fulfill me. This is the thing that will complete my life. And again and again and again, they always fail us. And so we're always going to the next new thing. Ecclesiastes warns us, the world is a good place, but it's vaporous. It cannot satisfy. The last thing we see is that vapor, there's, in vapor, there's no gain. There's no control. There's no satisfaction. There's also no legacy. In verse 11, there is no remembrance of former things nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. We will not be remembered. You know, it's very common, I, I hear this a lot in our generation, to talk about leaving a legacy, which I, I think is a really powerful image. You know, think about whether you're in your job or in your family or in your neighborhood. Like, what, what is the enduring uh, impact that you're going to leave on that place? And so we think often in terms of, like, what legacy am I going to leave? And yet, the reality is, in 100 years, none of us will be remembered. No one in this room, probably. You know, I was thinking about it. Maybe 
in 100 years, no one in Bellingham, you know, definitely 150 years, maybe no one in Bellingham will be remembered. The whole city is just forgotten? I mean, that's incredible. But that's the truth. Actually, I was going as far to think of the whole state of Washington. You know, I thought Bill Gates might be remembered. One guy in how, four million people, how many people are in our state? Incredible, whole states just forgotten. That's the vaporousness of this world, is that there isn't a legacy. And so, you know, you could say, well, how depressing is it? Why don't we pick the depressing book to go through? But, you know, I don't think this is depressing for the person who has adopted the view of the world that Ecclesiastes is suggesting. Because we might find that the world is difficult and is frustrating. It's difficult and frustrating, not just for non-Christians. Ecclesiastes is not just saying, oh, if you don't believe in God, then life is going to be frustrating. It's saying life is vaporous and frustrating for everyone, for Christians, for the righteous, for everyone. But it suggests to us also that there is something that's not vaporous. Because even though it says in those, that opening verse of verse 2 that all is vapor, it also gives us a hint that there's something that's not vaporous. And you see that in verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Everything under the sun is vaporous. And uh, that's, that phrase, under the sun, actually, it appears about 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's, it's, some, it's a refrain that we'll hear over and over as we go through the book. And what this gives us is a hint that there is something that's not under the sun, and maybe something, therefore, that is not vapor, something that is solid, is stable. It is something that you can build a life on. It is something that you can depend on. It is something you can reach out and grab for, and it will be there, and it will not elude you. And, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis, talking about this inconsolable longing, said this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy... The most reasonable explanation is that I was made for another world. That is, the, the desire that I'm trying to satisfy is for something above the sun. And so it's, that's the second question we're going to ask as we first look at, okay, what is vapor? Vapor is the reality of this world that is a good world, and yet it's a mist. And if you try to grab it, it will elude you. It will slip through your fingers. But the second thing is we ask, is what does God give us in the midst of the vapor? And two things we see in the passage. The first is that he meets us in the vapor. God himself comes into the vapor. And you see this here in verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Now, As you read that opening you're supposed to think this is probably Solomon. Because actually we find out in the passage we'll look at next week, this, this guy who wrote Ecclesiastes had you know, more wisdom than any of the kings that were in Jerusalem before him. But there's only one king in Jerusalem before Solomon. So you know, it's not saying a whole lot. But it's, Solomon, of course, was the one who had asked God for wisdom, and God had given them this abundant wisdom. And so we read this and we think this must be Solomon. But it actually never names him. And it's saying that the one who speaks into the vapor is the son of David, the king, the promised king. And of course, this is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is the true son of David, the better Solomon. 
And Jesus' life, you look at Jesus' life, and it's like the most vaporous life there was, right? He comes, he dies in his early 30s. And, you know, he was homeless. He didn't even have a house. You know, I was thinking about this too. After his resurrection, he had a church of 120 people. You know, we're, our church is over twice that, you know? And so you have, uh, and, and, you know, he had friends who betrayed him. He had um, a family that didn't believe in him. And so Jesus is God entering into all of the vapor and the frustrating vapor of this life. But you know, it's interesting. The first time this word havel appears in the Bible is in a person's name. And some of you may know this, that uh, in, the, in Genesis chapter 4, Abel, that's his name, is havel. Abel was vapor. If you know the story of Cain and Abel, I mean, what that's saying is, you know, Adam and Eve had these two sons, uh, Cain and Abel, and Cain murdered his brother. And it's like Abel was this, this son that they loved, and, and then he just disappeared. And he was just gone, just like that. And that's what sin did. It just took it away, and there's, there's such hopelessness and such despair. And yet, Hebrews tells us that Jesus is a second Abel whose blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Jesus' vapor did not lead to hopelessness because as Jesus took on the vapor of the world, he rose victorious to an indestructible life, a permanent, eternal life that he shares with us. And so the first thing, as we say, you know, how do I live in such a vaporous world, is we go to the Lord himself who entered into into the vapor, and we trust in him. And when we do that, we find a second thing that God gives us in the midst of the vapor is that he shepherds us in the vapor. He becomes a shepherd to us. What we need in a life that is constantly eluding us is someone to walk with us and shepherd us and feed us and lead us. And, um, you know, I, I uh, mentioned that in verse 6 how it talks about the wind. The wind blows to the south and goes to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. And actually, wind is an important picture throughout Ecclesiastes because there's a third refrain that you hear over and over in Ecclesiastes. You hear all is, va- all is vanity, all is vapor. You hear everything under the sun. And there's a third one about striving after the wind. And the word for striving is literally herding the wind. And, and he's, he's saying that, va- you know, chasing after vapor is like trying to herd the wind. He's like, who can herd a wind? You know, the wind blows wherever and you can't do it. And what the gospel invites us into, when we say that God is the only one who's entered into the vapor and come out with an eternal permanent life that I can grab onto and I can hold, we find that instead of trying to shepherd the wind, God shepherds us. He becomes a shepherd for us. And this is actually the, the closing words of Ecclesiastes. When you get to the very end, this is what it says. It talks about the shepherd. The word, this is Ecclesiastes 12.11. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. The shepherd becomes for us a fixed nail, something that won't move, something that I can grab onto and I know it will be there. But the thing that's amazing about the gospel is that Jesus 
becomes this shepherd who is not only something that I can grab onto and I know is going to be there, I know isn't going to leave, and I know he's substance and he's not elusive, but he turns around and he grabs hold of me. And Jesus says, no one can snatch you from my hand. You can't even become vapor to me. You won't slip through my fingers. I will grab hold of you. That permanence, that security, is what the gospel gives us in this vaporous world. And so, if you're here, you say, I see everything you're describing about the world. There's no gain, there's no, there's no control, there's no satisfaction, there's no legacy, there's no security. Ecclesiastes is bidding you to rest and trust in the Good Shepherd. And he says he will be that permanence for you. Let's pray together.